Amen for that, huh? Oh, praise the Lord. Well, thank you. It's good to see you guys all this morning. The sing and hear God's praises um, is such a blessed thing. It just fills our heart. Um, I'm so grateful to be able to be here this morning, uh, to be able to teach from God's word um, is a very humbling uh, experience, but it's also, uh, for, for me, uh, is a very a huge joy. So I'm so grateful to have the privilege to be able to be here um, this morning. So let me have you guys uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6 and uh, 13 through 20. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And I was planning on using my my study, my Bible that has been a trusty Bible for uh, probably 20 years. And I I even marked all the, the chapters and the pages in here with special sticky tape that I've reused for the probably 20 years. Um, but I have to hold this Bible clear out here and I might miss that. So uh, my optimism, I think, is... Uh, failing me, so I'm going to have to use my phone, which has a very large print on it, to read this morning. It probably doesn't help that I haven't had a an eye appointment in uh, several years, so, well, two and a half years, anyway. Um, so let's go ahead. Yeah, let's uh, turn uh, to Hebrews 6. I'm going to start us in verse 9 and read through. Though we speak to you in this way, Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, as we come into your word and we we ponder and we probe and we dig down deep into the beauty and magnificence of your word, Lord, would you, through your spirit, touch our hearts, speak to our hearts, 
Lord, that we would come into your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be convicted, Lord, that we would leave this morning encountering your presence, your holiness, your grace and love. Lord, we are so grateful for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. Help us this morning, Lord, to put aside the things that have have, uh, troubled our hearts, troubled our minds, worries and fears. Lord, I pray that we would now lay those aside, uh, that our hearts would be laid open bare to you, Lord, that you would come into the softness of our hearts and implant your word. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Okay. You know, when I was a, a, a younger man, I, I was a, a swimmer. I grew up swimming since I was a kid, and I was a competition swimmer in high school. And then I continued. I became a swim coach. I've, I've taught kids swim lessons uh, from a baby, literally to in their 20s in Special Olympics. I coach swim team. And one of the things I love to do is swim. Uh, and one of the other things I love to do is I would go to Lake Chelan, and I would swim down deep and, and challenge myself to, to swim deeper and deeper and deeper. And Lake Chelan, if you've ever been there, has a really steep drop-off. You go about 20 feet out to shore, and already you're probably in almost 30 feet of water in places. So uh, my, my challenge was always to go down as deep as I can. And as far as I can tell, I, was, I would get down about 50 feet underwater just holding my breath. And I, I, I just go down little by little by little, a little deeper, a little deeper, and think, okay, do I have enough air? now to get me back up to the surface. And of course, every 10 feet or so, or even less, you have to pinch your nose and clear your ears because your ears are really hurting at that depth and pressure. And so my friends, knowing, knowing this, one time they came to me and said, Tom, our, our dock at our cabin on Lake Chelan has lost its mooring. It's, it's come loose. It's broken free. And so uh, the chain somewhere has, uh, we're going to lose it. Unless someone can dive down there, we don't want to pay somebody an expensive amount of money to dive down with scuba equipment and, and go down there and fix it for us. Would you fix it? Uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a fun challenge. Yeah, let's do that. So I get out there and I, uh, I, I see where the chain has broken off. And I, they gave me a, a sturdy padlock. So I went down there. Swimming down deep, had the padlock in my hand, got down there, found the chain, and I linked it together, that chain again with that padlock. And it was able to, uh, at least for a time, support that and secure that dock so that it didn't leave its, its moorings and, and float away in, in the lake. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what we do in this world as Christians sometimes. We tend to put our hope and our confidence in things that are temporary away from us, things that can be destroyed, things that can float away from us. And, and that's, that's what we do. We like to look at our circumstances and think, how can I change my circumstances? How can I? And so we worry, we're fearful, or we hoard resources and things and, and money and wealth and these things that we look to the world that is temporary, that is broken. And we look to ourselves that is temporary and broken. And so this morning, 
we have before us some amazing, amazing verses. And these verses tell us exactly where our hope should be, where our trust should be. We're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at five points. And they're in your bulletin. If you open that up, you can follow along with the sermon notes. Five points that will help us this morning kind of break down these, these verses and kind of digest them a little bit because there's so much truth here. There's so much good stuff. It's like drinking water through a fire hose. If you got that image in your head, you know what I'm saying here. It's like drinking water through a fire hose. So we need to break this down so we don't become overwhelmed with God's word and the goodness and grace of God's word. I've had weeks to, to meditate on these verses and to think about them and ponder them and study them. And so it's a little more solidified in my mind, but it's still, it's still absolutely wonderful, too wonderful for me to, to know and understand. I, another analogy, I think, this morning as we come into these verses that I love is, uh, is the analogy of, of I Love Lucy. You guys ever watch I Love Lucy? My family loves I Love Lucy. We have the whole season discs on every season. And, and I, I'm still coming on episodes that I, I, I don't remember ever watching. But we love I Love Lucy. And one of my favorite uh, episodes is the episode called Job Switching. And some some people know what that is. That's that's the time when when Ethel and Fred and 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 uh, Ricky and Lucy they decided to switch jobs, and and so Ethel and Lucy decided to get a job outside of the home, and then Fred and and Ricky decided to do all the cooking and the cleaning. <laughs> it was a disaster, both ends. But with Ethel and Lucy, they went to got a job at a chocolate factory. Ah, yeah, that's coming to you. Yes. You guys know now, and remember when they were going, and they could barely keep up, and then, and then they speeded up, and what happened? Next thing you know, Lucy and Ethel are stuffing them in their mouths, they're stuffing them down their shirt, and anywhere and everywhere they could put chocolate, and and that's that's what the Word of God can be like for us too. We can become overwhelmed, and we get too much. So we're going to break this down, and we're going to try to avoid avoid this uh, overwhelming beauty and majesty of God's word this morning. So we're going to look at these five points to help us kind of break these down. Five points. These are five points that reasons why we can trust the Lord with our eternal soul. Five reasons we can trust the Lord with our eternal soul. The first one, the first point is the promise. The second point is the oath. The third point is the, the nature the fourth point is the anchor, and the fifth point is the priest. So let's go ahead. Let's look at point number one. Point number one is the promise. It can be found in verses 13 through 15. So let's read those. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently awaited, obtained the promise the promise the promise referred to here in verse 13 comes from genesis chapter 22 verses 16 and 18 so you don't have to turn there i'm going to turn there but if you want to go ahead genesis chapter 8 22 verses 16 through 18 and let me read that this is the promise here that paul or the writer of hebrews is referring to when he said uh, verse 16 
and said, by myself, this is God, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son. So remember, um, Isaac was the promised son and, and so uh, to, to Abraham. All the promises of God were being going to be fulfilled through, through Isaac to become a great nation and bless the world, right? And so God directs um, Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. And so they go to Mount Moriah, which, which we know today is in Jerusalem and where the temple mount was built and, and the temple was built. And God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son. We find out through Stephen when he's being martyred and stoned, that, that Abraham knew because he trusted God's character that God would provide for him. And so we see Abraham going, and, and God, it, it, God said, because you did not withhold your son from me, I will surely, in verse 17, bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess all the gate." Of, the, of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. This is the promise that is being referred here in verses 13 through 15. Let's head back now to Hebrews, and if, if you didn't turn away, give me a chance to get back to Hebrews 6, verses 15 here. We're going to look at that. In verse 15, it says, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord said he would make him a great nation. 75. And it was, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. So 25 years. 25 years to wait. And, and, and Abraham, I want you to see this. Abraham was not, not perfect in this. He, he, he struggled, right? It should be an encouragement for us. He struggled, and they, they tried uh, with Hagar and tried to have Ishmael to be the answer, fulfillment of that, and that's not what God wanted. Sometimes we can also uh, impatiently wait for God and his promises in our own lives. Just as a little bit of encouragement. You and I are heirs of Abraham. If we are... Children, if we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we are adopted heirs, you and I. Galatians 3.29 puts it this way, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So that's you and me. Unless, unless you're Jewish in here, um, we're all adopted if you're a believer. We are adopted into Abraham's promises. We are. We're heirs, spiritual heirs. Amen. We have promises for God's word for us too. We see that throughout um, throughout the Bible. The promises of God are also for us. In James chapter one, verse twelve, a crown of life is promised. In 2 Peter 3.13, we have a promise of a new heaven and a new earth. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we are promised peace. In Romans 8.28, God promises to work everything to our good. In 1 John 1.9, God promises us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
But I want us to see something here. This is really important. We are not worthy on ourselves to be made heirs. We're not worthy of our, on ourselves to be given these incredible, beautiful promises and truths from God. Jesus told a, a, a parable, and, and I think it's so appropriate. It, it, this parable is found in Luke chapter 18, and it's verses 9 through 14. I'm just going to read that here. Um, he's telling this to his disciples. He said, told his parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like this other man over here, extortioners or unjust or adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We're not worthy of God's promises. We can't do it. We can't deserve it. We can't do anything good enough to deserve God's promises and we cannot do anything bad enough to lose these promises. God is faithful. Paul says it in verse Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this, this is a saying, this saying is worthy, trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Now, I want you to see that. This is the Apostle Paul talking. And what does he say? He says, I am the foremost. He's not saying, I was the foremost. I was a bad guy. I persecuted Christians. I pounded on their doors. I invaded them. I stood there holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen. Yeah, we all agree. See, that's a pretty bad guy. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying I was a bad guy or bad sinner. He says, I am a sinner, a chief and foremost. I am... I am the worst, he says. I am number one. You guys have seen those number one fingers? You guys know what I'm talking about? When you go to a football game or something like that on Super Bowl or whatever, and they have the big number one finger, foam finger, and they wave it around, I'm number one. <laughs> well, that's what Paul's, Paul's doing here. He's waving around the number one, but he's not saying, I'm, I'm good. He's saying, I'm, I'm bad. I am the number one sinner in the whole world, nobody is worse than me. Paul, who we think, wow, what? Paul, an apostle, doing miracles, suffering on behalf of the Lord, who wrote half of, more than half of our New Testament. Paul, saying, I am chief. I am foremost of sinners. We're not good enough. Paul's not good enough. Abraham wasn't good enough. And you and I are not good enough to deserve these promises. But God is. 
good news. God is faithful. God is so good. I want to look at here in verse 15 again here. Look at there. Look at verse 15. It says, and thus Abraham having patiently, see that? Patiently. You see, sometimes it takes a long time for us to see these promises of God in our lives. Sometimes it takes us to patiently wait for these truths. Sometimes we have to be assured that God's word is true, that his character is sure, and his promises are true and sure. We can trust God with our eternal soul because of God's promise, not because we're good, but because God is good. This leads us to point number two. God is good. Point number two is the oath. The oath. Let's look at point number two. It can be found in verses 16 and 17. It says here, verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, oaths aren't used too much, in, at least in America anymore. We have contracts now. We have lawyers who, who do all this. And then you sign your, your name to the bottom line, right? And, and there are consequences if you don't uphold this contract, right? Legal consequences. Um, you don't pay your bills. You don't pay these things. They can come and take what you, what you borrowed money on. There are consequences if you don't keep up your end of the contract. But back then in those days, they didn't have contracts. They had oaths. And these oaths were were very, very serious. So uh, this oath that's referred to here in these two verses actually comes from uh, Genesis again, going back to Abraham. Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis uh, 15, chapter 15. This is really good. This is one of those sections in your Bible that you just need to underline, highlight if you do that or, or make a note in your, in your section there about this. This is amazing and beautiful. Okay, so Paul is hearkening us back to Genesis 15. We're going to look at verses 8 through 17. Verses 8 through 17. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know, this is Abraham, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer. God says, Abraham, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down On the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and he, behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land, and that this is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. This is one of those passages we can just kind of really quickly miss the significance, really pass over and, and not see what's happening here. This is an oath. This was a famous oath, a really important oath uh, back in those days where if you separated these animals, you brought them, you cut them in half, it's kind of a grisly and gruesome oath, but it was, it was showing, signifying a very important truth. It was signifying that if I do not keep up my end of this bargain, of this oath, then let it be done to me what is done to these animals. It was a very, very serious oath. I will keep up my end of this oath, my end of the bargain. Separate these animals, and then both parties would walk between the animals, saying, let this happen to me if I do not keep up this oath. It was very serious. You know, when I was a kid, we had an oath, but it wasn't serious. It was like... um, uh, let's see, it was a, let's see, uh, I can't remember how it started now. Oh, yeah, cross my heart and hope to die. You guys remember that? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You look back now and you think, oh, that was, no, what was wrong with us? <laughs> no, stick a needle in your eye, that's awful, terrible, no. And, and you know, you would say that because you were saying, I, I you know, I promise, I'm gonna, that was our way of making an oath. But obviously it wasn't serious, we weren't gonna really, Stick a needle in our eye, hopefully, right? But here, this was a very grisly and gruesome, but it was serious, where both sides say, if we don't make this, if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, we're going to die. Death, we deserve death. And so you have this amazing story here of, of God passing through these animals. Now, you notice that it's really interesting in what happens here. Because this is the part we could just really pass over real quickly. Verse 12 says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now what's, what's the problem here? Problem is you have one person that's supposed to pass through between these animals is, is sleeping so he, he doesn't get to go through the animals, doesn't get to pass through. And then we see at the very end, verse 17, who does pass through? God passes through the animals. Now, this is really important. This is fantastic. I just love God's word. This is amazing truth. God is showing Abram, Abram, you're not good enough to keep your end of the bargain of the oath. You will fail, but I won't. And so God's saying to Abram here, and and he's saying to us in Hebrews, he's saying, I am good enough to hold up both ends of our bargain, our oath. I am good enough to hold up both ends. And so Abram's sound asleep, sound logs, and God himself passes through the sacrifice. Magnificent, incredible truth from God's word. 
beautiful. And so going back now to Hebrews, if you haven't, let's flip back to Hebrews. Verses 16 and 17, for God confirmed it with an oath. So when God desired to show more convincing to the heirs of promise, who's the heirs of promise? We talked about that already this morning. What's that? We are, right? All of us. If we trust Jesus Christ of our Lord and Savior, we are heirs. And so heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So we can trust God with our eternal soul because of his promise and because of his oath. God will hold up both ends. We're not good enough. On our own, God is good. And so we can trust God. He is trustworthy. And then that leads us to the next point. We can trust God because of his nature. The third point, we can trust God with our eternal soul because of his nature. And we find that starting in verse 18. Verse 18 says, so that by two unchangeable things, those unchangeable things are his promise and his oath. Two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Two unchangeable things. It is impossible for God to lie. This goes to God's very nature. God's nature. We know these revealed attributes from the word of God. They're called attributes of God. And one of the, some of these attributes of God are that God is infinite. He's infinite. He is self-existing, without origin, without beginning, without ending. The alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is infinite. He is the I am revealed to Moses. He is infinite. God is next. He is all sufficient. He doesn't have any needs. He's all sufficient. No needs. God is omnipotent. Omnipotent means all powerful. God is all powerful. God is also omniscient. He is all knowing. God is also omnipresent. That means he is all the time everywhere. Omnipresent. And the key attribute referred to here in verse 18 is God is immutable. It's a fancy word. Immutable. It just means God cannot change. He's always acting totally, completely consistent to his character. He always acts totally and consistently according to his character. He is perfect in every way. It's not like the the gods of the Romans and the Greeks, the small g gods. Remember, they were capricious. They were unstable. They were unpredictable, impulsive, angry. And you had to constantly try to placate them to keep them from wiping you out or whatever. 
Our God is not like that. Our God is stable, perfect in all his ways, always, always acting in consistent fashion to his nature. We can trust him. He is immutable. He cannot lie. That would go against his very nature. And it's because of his immutability that we can trust God when he says in Romans, let me turn there real fast, 8, 38 through 39, it says this. Amazing truth here. 38 through 39 says this. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else that all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's because of his immutability that we have confidence in those verses, that we can trust in those verses, because God will not change his character. He's unchangeable. So it's in his nature. We can trust God because of his promise. We can trust God with our eternal soul because of his oath. We can trust God with our soul because of his nature. And now we're looking at the fourth point. The fourth point here is found in verse 19. Verse 19. The anchor. We can trust God because with our soul because he is the anchor. Verse 19 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. God's anchor is sure. So, you know, if you've ever seen an anchor, they are, they are massive things. They, if it's a large vessel, then the anchor has to be the same size as the vessel. Sometimes you have to drop multiple anchors because your vessel is so big. And these anchors are, are massive, heavy, and the, the chains that, that hold them together, tether them to the ship, are massive chains. And the way the anchor works is it you drop it when you want to keep your ship from going anywhere, wind or storm, or if you want to just halt your progress so you can rest up and sleep, then you drop an anchor. And that anchor will hold you to where you want to be. Anchors are absolutely necessary for ships. Without them, ships would be tossed to and fro in storms and winds, heading toward certain disaster. They work by gouging deeply into the sea bottom. To withstand the fiercest storm, they need to grab hold of a rock on the bottom. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, our sure and steadfast anchor is held by a rock. Our rock is none other than the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are held sure and steadfast by the rock of ages. Jesus Christ will help us, hold us fast. So we're not dashed against the rocks. We can count on our anchor to hold us during the times of trouble and struggle as we go through this life and we struggle with 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 health concerns, financial concerns, family problems. 
whatever problems we are going through in our life, whatever storms that blow against us, we can be held fast because of our anchor. Our anchor holds us. And when Jesus Christ is our rock that we are anchored to, it is sure and steadfast. It can hold us. It says in the earlier verse that we have strong encouragement to hold fast. Strong encouragement. No matter what through life would bring at us, no matter the trials, the tribulations, the troubles that come our way, we have a sure and steadfast anchor to hold us in place. This anchor is not fallible. It's not subject to corrosion. It's sure and steadfast. And it's anchored to Jesus Christ, who is our rock. It's an amazing anchor that holds our soul. We can trust God with our eternal soul because God is our anchor. He is our anchor. And fifthly and lastly, we're going to look at our fifth point. We can trust God with our eternal soul because God is now, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is our high priest. And we find that in verses 19 through 20. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We can trust God with our eternal soul because he is our high priest. His sacrifice, instead of a priest, you remember the story, you've read Leviticus, you've read the Old Testament, you know what the role of the high priest was. Once a year he could go into uh, the inter-sanctum, the holy of holies, into the presence of, of God because remember the kind of glory dwelled in the inner. But he had to offer a sacrifice for himself. You couldn't just walk in there at any point, at any time, any other day, you would, have been, you would have been dead. And only the high priest could go in. And he had to offer first a sacrifice for himself. And then he would offer a sacrifice for the people, for atonement of the people. And he would carry the blood in to the inter, to the Holy of Holies. And he would scatter the blood on the altar for the sins, for the atonement of the sins of the people. That was the role of the high priest. It was a picture picture of our high priest because our high priest here we see he's entered into the inner place behind the curtain but our high priest was the perfect sacrifice he himself became our sacrifice he was the perfect spotless lamb of God and his blood was shed for us on our behalf it was his blood that is giving us atonement of our sins once and for all. Christ doesn't have to keep sacrificing himself. What he did was enough. In fact, he's hung on the cross. His last words on the cross were, it is finished. No more sacrifices have to be shed. Our sin is forgiven us. We are become atoned, clean, made pure if we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he's gone before us, behind the curtain. Remember what happened to the curtain on the cross, right? The curtain torn in two. I forget 
exactly how wide they said it was, but I think it was like four or five inches wide. And it tore from top to bottom. Can you imagine being in there or hearing that thing ripping all the way down? The curtain is torn in two. The inner sanctum is now open, guess what, to us. Because Christ is God, gone on our behalf in there. It says here that in verse 20 that Jesus has gone as our forerunner on our behalf. He's gone as our forerunner on our behalf. What does that mean, a forerunner? Well, a forerunner would have meant something very clearly to the Hebrews at that time because a forerunner was a Greek word and it was a military word. And it meant somebody who has infiltrated the lines, who have gone before and is going before and the army is coming after him. So they're going to follow in his footsteps, the forerunner's footsteps. It's the word prodramas. And it was a military reconnaissance man. And Jesus is our prodramas. He is our forerunner. He has gone in before us. He is our forerunner. Paul uses metaphors all the time throughout the epistles and through uh, the New Testament. One of those metaphors he uses frequently is a, a metaphor of running. Running. See, Jesus is our forerunner. That makes us after runners. We are after runners. We are running. We're running right behind Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who's gone before us, who's prepared the way for us. Jesus is our high priest, forerunner. What an amazing, strong encouragement we have as Jesus Christ is our forerunner. I want to close this message this morning with a prayer. So, Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Some of us have been struggling with uh, health concerns, financial problems, um, family difficulties, our own sinful nature, grumpiness, stubbornness, pride. These are areas in our life where we have, we have placed our hope in wrong things, in idols that cannot give us any sure and steadfast anchor. Our circumstances in life, and, and sometimes they get so caught up in them, we get so caught up in them that we become anxious and fearful and worry keeps us up at night. Lord, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to be strongly encouraged. Strongly encouraged by your presence, by your grace, by your promises, who you are. Right now, Lord, we just confess. Confess uh, we, have, we have ran after other things instead of running after our forerunner. We've run after uh, idols, ourselves. We confess that. Lord, we repent of our lack of faith. Lord, help us to take hold of your promise, your oath, your nature, your anchor of your high priest. That is our sure and steadfast hope. Help us to find our refuge in the rock of ages, 
And this morning as we are praying now too, there are probably some here who have never ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. You've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. And so you don't, you don't know what that is like to have hope, to have strong consolation, to have encouragement. You don't know what it's like. Let me tell you this morning that just because you're in a church does not make you a Christian. Any more than being in a garage makes you a car. We can go to church our whole lives like I did and struggle with, with doing legalistic things to please God, to be good enough. And it's never good enough. We are not good enough. It's very simple. You have to first recognize that you are a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what our sin does is it separates us from God. And so that if, when we die from this world and we come into the next, we, if we are in, separated from God, we will be in hell. Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin is death. What we deserve, what we earn is death, separation eternally from God. But Romans 6.23 also says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have never confessed and repented of your sin and placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then I encourage you to do that in the quiet of your heart. Ask the Lord, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and forgive you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word, the truth of your word, the hope of your word.